0: Hey creep, I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant, it may not end the way you want it to, but this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening. To Tails. Creeps, when you leave the house in the morning, coffee in hand, muffin, steadily scarfed down, you expect to return home at the end of the day, right? There's no reason you shouldn't be able to. You're only leaving your home to go to work. Unless your job is to jump out of airplanes or underwater welding, we don't assume there is any inherent risk when it comes to just simply walking out of the door briefcase in hand. That sense of security is exactly how Lindsay Buziak felt when she left her home to go to work, one morning all the way back in 2008. Only she never returned. On January 31st, 2008, in Victoria, British Columbia, where the northern nights are harshly wet and cold, and the days are depressingly short, Lindsay Buziak, a 24-year-old real estate agent, received a phone call. The phone rang and she answered, never one to miss a potential opportunity or leave a co-worker hanging. As the line connected, Lindsay was greeted by a woman. The lady who had called her had a thick and strange foreign accent, which wasn't overly concerning or alarming. The west coast of Canada is, after all, a highly sought-after place to live. With its beautiful scenery and big cities that remain small at heart, it's the perfect melting pot. But what was concerning and off-putting was the fact that Lindsay had not received this phone call on her work phone. She had received this call from a complete stranger on her personal phone, which she, like anyone else sporting two phones because of work, only reserved for close friends and family. The woman who had called Donning the thick accent explained her immediate concerns away saying she'd received Lindsay Buziak's personal phone number from another one of Lindsay's clients. Lindsay was unable to confirm the woman's story as the client the woman referred to was conveniently out of town at the time, though. The whole scenario was uncomfortable and felt off, and Lindsay couldn't shake the feeling that the woman's accent was fake but... She proceeded in talking with the woman with the same hesitancy that any one of us would have when uncomfortable, but also intensely curious. When a young 24-year-old real estate agent struggling and working day in and day out to build a client list is propositioned with showing a listing valued at $964,000. Well, it's only natural that the reasonable concerns that she might have felt started to feel like paranoia as she weighed the opportunity. Lindsay wasn't foolish though she was curious and she was eager to pounce on the opportunity to make commission on a nearly one million dollar home but she was also intensely uncomfortable with the entirely unsettling introduction she'd had with the accented woman who had managed to get her personal number so Lindsay asked jason zallo her boyfriend to meet her at the house in case there were any issues or just in case her paranoia was in fact actually reasonable concern. Jason Zilo knew how uncomfortable Lindsay was with the entire scenario and offered to show the house for Lindsay several times. But tragically, Lindsay didn't accept. She felt uncomfortable, but she was also doubting her intuition and she wasn't so alarmed to rely on her boyfriend in that moment. Not yet. A couple days passed, and on February 2nd, 2008, Lindsay Buziak and her boyfriend Jason met for lunch around 4.30pm, and after finishing their meal together said goodbye and went their separate ways for the day. Jason Xylo then made his way to a pickup hockey game, but not before picking up his friend, Cohen Oatman, as Cohen was also participating in the post-lunch game. Lindsay's boyfriend Jason and his friend Cohen were then caught on CCTV cameras entering and leaving an auto shop, before then leaving to meet Lindsay at the $964,000 home. The home was located on DeSauza Street, which was a cul-de-sac with three other homes. All of those homes were vacant. The house Lindsay was asked to set up a viewing for had sat empty for more than a year. The woman who had called Lindsay sporting her thick accent, who I suppose was now her client, had said she and her family were looking for a brand new home, empty and ready to move in. And the home on DeSauza seemed to be the perfect fit by all accounts, but it was also the perfect place for a horrific crime. Lindsay Buziak arrived at the scheduled showing just before 5.30 p.m. to sort through her papers, assembling any applicable paperwork, as well as retrieving the realtor's key from a lockbox located on the outside of the home at 5.29 p.m. And then she went inside. We can only assume it was the intent and hope for whoever was coming to view the home that there would be no one around to witness what was about to happen next no one to interrupt what had been set in motion. But a couple of neighbors from further down the street watched as a man and a woman met with Lindsay Buziak outside the home, introducing themselves to one another before going inside for the showing. The woman that Lindsay Buziak presumably had spoken to over the phone, according to those witnesses, was blonde and wearing an eye-catching and easily discernible patterned dress. Well, the man accompanying her, perhaps her husband, was described as roughly six foot, with dark hair, the two appeared to be between 35 and 45. It was around this time that Jason sent a text message to Lindsay, knowing she was about to start her showing and letting her know that he'd be there in 10 to 15 minutes, roughly. Lindsay replied that the couple were already there. Jason then texted Lindsay Buziak again at 5.38 p.m. to let her know he was only a few minutes away. But Jason received no reply. It was 5.40 p.m. when Jason Zylo and his friend Cohen Oatman arrived at the home. As Jason pulled his car into the driveway, they witnessed a man and woman leaving the home. But as soon as the couple saw Jason and Cohen pulling into the driveway, they tensed looked at one another and turned around, heading back into the house. Jason, for whatever reason, whether it was respect for Lindsay and not wanting to overstep, or not wanting to ruin her showing by embarrassing her to come in and check up on her, sat in his car for 20 minutes, waiting for Lindsay to emerge from the home with the couple. But as the minutes passed, he began to get a little worried and texted his girlfriend Lindsay, but once again received no answer. Jason got out of the vehicle, not yet convinced anything was wrong, but not willing to wait any longer to confirm or disprove this feeling, and went to enter the home through the front door. But the front door was locked. A locked front door to you and I could be a force of habit or a sensible action. A locked front door to a realtor, though, is something entirely different. You never lock the front door during a showing. Jason, a realtor himself, immediately felt the panic bubble up inside him. Lindsay was young, but she was smart, and she was good at her job. Jason knew she wouldn't have locked the front door or have allowed the front door to be locked. Jason began frantically circling the home, looking for another way in, starting to feel frantic, and as he peered through a window, the reality of the situation came crashing in. Jason could see Lindsay's shoes, cast aside on the ground. Jason immediately began dialing 911 while Cohen ran around to the back door, thankfully gaining entry into the home. Jason abruptly ended the 911 call when Cohen opened the front door and ran inside desperate to find his girlfriend, hoping and praying everything would ultimately be alright. The entire bottom floor was empty, with no sign of Lindsay. Jason, holding his breath, bounded up the stairs, where he finally found Lindsay dead in a gigantic pool of her own blood. Investigators arrived at the scene and began doing what they could to try and put together the scattered puzzle pieces of what had happened inside the home. Lindsay had been stabbed over 40 times and had no defensive wounds. Authorities assumed she'd been ambushed, taken by surprise with no chance to react to her killer or killers. And it wasn't a crime of lust or a robbery gone wrong. She hadn't been sexually assaulted and her personal remains lay with her scattered amongst the home. But the excessive stab wounds were telling. This was a personal crime fueled by a need to obliterate. Or so it looked. Unfortunately for investigators, whoever had attacked and ultimately brought a violent end to Lindsay Buziak's life had gone about the crime in a much more meticulous fashion than the emotional act of 40 stab wounds would suggest. There was no DNA. There were no fingerprints. It seemed to authorities that Lindsay had been killed by a professional, someone who had killed before, someone who knew what police would look for, and how they were likely to find it. When their initial investigation was, for all intents and purposes, done, investigators were left with not much of anything to go on. Their only avenue was to try and track down the cell phone, which the woman with the fake accent had called from. And investigators were able to do that much at least. The phone which the woman had called Lindsay from had initially been purchased in November of 2007, but wasn't activated until the end of January 2008 in Vancouver, British Columbia, and the person or persons responsible for Lindsay's murder had only brought it into the Greater Vancouver region, merely 24 hours before Lindsay was murdered. The calls made to Lindsay from the woman with a thick accent hadn't been made from Victoria but from Vancouver and those calls had pinged off several cell phone towers in the area. The phone was only used for the six or so calls to Lindsay before presumably being destroyed. With this information, authorities began to conclude that Lindsay's murder had in fact been a hit, a meticulously planned murder, and someone had been hired to make sure they and their employer would never be caught. So, a year passed, and then two years, and it's now 2020 and in a short few months it will have been 13 years since Lindsay Buziak's murder, and the case still remains unsolved. But that doesn't mean there aren't theories as to what happened. The first person police will always look at, for better or for worse, is a victim's significant other. So, it only made sense that the first person police initially considered a possible suspect was Jason Zylo, Lindsay Buziak's boyfriend. Not to mention, Jason was potentially present at the time of her murder, sitting in his car in the driveway. Jason and Cohen were both taken into custody, but due to the CCTV footage mentioned earlier of them entering and then exiting an auto shop, confirming their version of events, and upon passing a lie detector test, the two were cleared as suspects and released. Lindsay Buziak, at the time of her murder, according to those close to her, was trying to decide whether Jason and herself even had a future at all. Although, on the outside, everything appeared to be completely happy and easygoing for the two. Lindsay Buziak and Jason Zilo had been dating for a year at the time, and were living together. And over that year, as the honeymoon phase passed her by, Lindsay came to find Jason was not quite the angel he appeared to be. In fact, he was controlling and possessive over her. Lindsay, who was an extremely independent young woman, began to feel the friction of those conflicting forces in their relationship. And although Jason's island was cleared, Jason did divulge a possible lead, which brings us to the second theory. On December 14th, 2007, Lindsay had traveled from Victoria to Calgary to visit Jason and had apparently, and I quote, saw something bad. Jason was under the impression that the bad things she had seen had occurred in Victoria, but he didn't know what it was. And Lindsay had also mentioned this to her father on a separate occasion, telling him that she had been witness to something she shouldn't have sometime around the end of 2006. Two sources mentioning this something bad Lindsay had witnessed was enough to warrant police searching into the matter. By digging through old Facebook messages and phone calls, investigators were able to find something that might have possibly led them to learn who had killed Lindsay and why. During the time Jason was in Calgary, Lindsay had been talking with an old friend over the phone and through Facebook. That friend was a relative of another individual though named Erickson Delalcazar, but they couldn't figure out why she had been contacting him but it was the events that preceded Lindsay's murder that involved Erickson that investigators found intriguing. Erickson just so happened to be charged as an accomplice in the largest cocaine trafficking ring case in Alberta's history. A little Canada facts for you, for those who don't know Calgary, where Jason was living for a period, is in Alberta, which is the neighboring province to British Columbia, where Vancouver and Victoria are. The drive between Vancouver and Calgary is roughly 12 to 14 hours just to provide some context. Shortly after Lindsay had left Jason and Calgary to return to Victoria, that's when Erickson and his cocaine trafficking ring were arrested. Now, this sounds like a promising theory, but it's a drug bust in Victoria, British Columbia, which is the prevailing theory among RCMP officers involved in the case. Lindsay had dated a man named Matt McDuff, and although investigators had never suspected him of killing Lindsay, they did know through taping Matt's phones that he had been an acquaintance of Jazz Singh Baines, who was an individual in Victoria who was in charge of a criminal organization that was involved in shipping kilograms of cocaine to Toronto and the surrounding area. In fact, Jazz had a reputation for being somewhat of a kingpin of West Coast Canadian organized crime. And it was the taping of Lindsay and her boyfriend Matt's phones that in part led to what is known as the British Columbia Legislature Raid. To keep a long story short, for those who aren't from B.C., those raids which were performed on the British Columbia Legislature buildings... Those raids are what led to the arrest of Jazz Singh Baines. Sergeant Horsley of the RCMP stated, What we can say is that people lost a lot of money, and the people that lost the drugs know that someone spoke to the police. A witch hunt occurred where people were being questioned. People were being pulled out of their beds in the middle of the night and asked, who have you spoken to? Because they knew someone had spoken to the police. That's one of the working theories. Lindsay Buziak was the target of this murder. But it may have been a target of opportunity, where they needed to solve a problem, and she was the solution. Lindsay Buziak herself was never involved in drugs. She never smuggled, trafficked, or sold them as far as police are concerned. But as I said earlier, the cities along the west coast of Canada are big cities that still feel small. And when wondering how or why Lindsay would have tangled herself up with such unsavory characters, Sergeant Horsley said something which I believe sums it up perfectly. Victoria. Everybody knows everybody. It's just that simple. So, Creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember Creeps, Take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors.